Welcome to TRC Talks, a podcast by The Reynolds Company, an authorized Rockwell distributor. This show features conversations with the automation specialists from The Reynolds Company, explaining and exploring the evolving landscape of products, services, and solutions for industrial controls and automation. Welcome back to the TRC Talks podcast from The Reynolds Company, an authorized Rockwell automation distributor. I am Wayne Welk, your host for this episode. Today, Brandon Singh returns to the podcast as we present part six of our industrial networking series, a discussion on the IDMZ, or Industrial Demilitarized Zone. In our five previous episodes, we have covered physical media, layer two and layer three switches, networking topologies, and basic IT concepts. And we have a few episodes remaining on industrial networking and the converged plant-wide ethernet, or CPWE. Be sure to check the show notes for any useful links about the topics we will discuss in this episode. Now, let's welcome back Brandon to the podcast. So welcome back, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure as always. And thanks for coming back. And as we left off last episode, episode five, with the uh, layer three switches and level three of the Purdue model, you kind of teased us a bit with the 3.5 level of the Purdue model and the IDMZ or the industrial demilitarized zone. And I'm going to admit that when it comes to the DMZ layer, I'm a complete novice and it's been a bit of a mystery to me. And I know our listeners are probably a little bit just as perplexed as to what really happens inside of the IDMZ, perhaps. That's what we want to talk about today. So let's just start with what is the uh, IDMZ? The IDMZ, or Industrial Demilitarized Zone, on your Purdue model, it's layer three and a half. It's commonly referred to as, it's not an official layer, but that's what's commonly referred to it as. It acts as a zone or a barrier system that separates the enterprise network from the industrial plant floor network. So as we work toward industry 4.0 and converged plant-wide Ethernet, where our business systems and our enterprise systems are converged with our IT and plant or our plant floor and our automation systems and our OT and the IT OT convergence, this is a space where essentially all of that actually happens. So all of that wonderful magic we want everybody to do essentially takes place right here. This is where it actually does converge, but it does it in a safe way that separates the networks according to their purposes, requirements, and it helps mitigate risk. So your CEO or your corporate plant manager, somebody who's not necessarily involved in your day-to-day operations on the plant floor, but does have a say of what's going on, can take a look at production effectively, see what's live access, what's going on inside the plant, but without actually connecting to anything and accidentally clicking something he doesn't need to click. That's where that kind of all takes place. So the DMZ term, is that just something that kind of was adopted from the IT world? The IT world adopted it from actual military zones. For example, the most famous DMZ that I'm aware of is the border between North Korea and South Korea. And that's essentially where IT folks took it from. I gotcha. So yeah, it's kind of like a buffer zone essentially between the two. Is there any difference between an industrial DMZ and shall we say a a regular or an IT DMZ? 
Yes, there is a difference. A traditional DMZ in the enterprise space or traditional IT sense is a security feature that you essentially protects the local area network or the LAN of whatever network that DMZ is part of. So the purpose of it is your IT security administrator usually sets one up and it's it sits in between the actual internet, the cloud, the internet, whatever you want to refer to it, and the local network. And it's in between that and the firewall. So you have your firewall that leads you into your actual network. You would have a traditional DMZ of the enterprise space. And then you would have the cloud. And that DMZ there is just a way that security engineers put that in place. And they put a lot of bogus files out there. They look real. Looks like contains a lot of useful data to a hacker who's trying to hack in. They call that a, a honey trap or honeycomb. If there was ever to be a breach, that's the first place a hacker would get into, be the DMZ. In a traditional enterprise space, when somebody does have unauthorized access into the DMZ and they start going through those files, generally have some alerting systems built in place. So you as a security person say, hey, there's somebody using the DMZ who's not supposed to be. We need to go ahead and lock them out completely, get kick them out of the DMZ and also lock down our security parameters even further to keep them actually getting into the real network before they realize they're looking at a bunch of fake data. That's what a DMZ in an enterprise space does. Industrial portion one is more true to an actual DMZ by definition of what the military uses it. It's a buffer zone between the enterprise and the plant floor, and it goes both ways. So if I'm on the plant floor and I need to go look at the business something for something, I go through the DMZ without actually affecting the business system because I don't work in a business system every day. And then it's vice versa. If I'm on the enterprise side and I'm in the business system, but I need to look at something on the plant floor, I can look at the plant floor without affecting something. It's a traditional buffer zone. Where actually is this DMZ? Is it like a separate room, a separate device? I mean, does it what what is it actually? Is it actually a piece of hardware? So it technically lies in between two pieces of hardware. So you would have your firewall that protects your plant floor network, and then you have your firewall that would protect your enterprise network. So it lives in between those two firewalls is the space where it lives. On the Purdue models, everyone's familiar with the drawing. Even though it doesn't actually lay out layer three and a half, you see that they have on the drawing two little bricks, one on each side, one that sits on layer three and then one that sits on layer four. And then they have all this other stuff drawn in the middle of it that they say DMZ or IDMZ. So the actual hardware itself is in between two spaces of those firewalls that protect the networks. So that's the hardware that's technically in place helps situate that as protecting each individual network itself. And is that just like another firewall in between the two firewalls or is it a, some kind of other type of appliance that goes there? No, there's no other type of appliance that provides there. So in between the two firewalls, it's, it's the DMZ is its own network that lives in between those two firewalls. And like I said, the information is that's, there that lives in the DMZ becomes from the servers that are on layer three on the plant floor that feed information up to the DMZ. And then for as far as the plant side, and then the servers that live in layer four, layer five on the enterprise size feeds information. That way you could actually see the information you're trying to access on either side. That information is fed across through the firewall into that, for lack of a better term, void of space where the IDMZ lives. And it's its own network with its own authentication. So you do have to log into that correctly in a traditional DMZ or the IDMZ. If someone is trying to get in to hack in, it's a space where you'd, you'd be able to recognize that someone who's unauthorized access to the DMZ because it is, it is its own network and you do have to authenticate to actually be allowed into the space. 
as far as the information that's getting shared across. How hard is it to coordinate those two firewalls between the enterprise zone and the factory floor zone? It's not very hard. I consider it to be one of the very last steps in having a true converged network all the way across. It's one of the last steps you would do. So configuring it is it's not very difficult. Now, you would have to have some experience using a, a firewall. And typically, these firewalls are higher-level Cisco firewalls that are put in place. Cisco ASA, uh, usually 5,500 or higher, generally speaking. Just to give you an example of a model, but those higher end firewalls that are, you know, you have to be pretty familiar with configuring and understanding what ports need to be open as far as uh, sending traffic across. But if you're someone who's used these firewalls in the past and has configured the firewall setups, it's, it's pretty simple in that case. But if you're someone who's never actually configured a firewall, then it, it could be a pretty daunting task. So I, I would recommend if you are setting one up to, you know, either be in co- constant contact with your IT department or if you're going to outside help from a third party, I would look at your whatever integrator you're using. Make sure that it's somebody who has pretty knowledgeable in the, the enterprise space in terms of firewalls and security settings. Is there any differences to that IDMZ if you have like multiple factory sites across the country or, or world? Is it, is it just simply a firewall again at each factory site and it's kind yes. of one big DMZ? Yep. You can set it up that way. And really with that, it comes down to how are your, you know, if you've got multiple plants you know, across the country, across the globe, are, they all, are all your plants networked together somehow through the cloud or are they not? Now, if each plant is, say, isolated to themselves, but attached to a local business unit, then each one would have its own independent DMZ. Now, if they're all networked together, your IT department and your upper plant floor management has already talked about putting a DMZ in place and probably already has one. And in that case, yes, each plant would have to have the firewalls and separating in between the plant floor and the business system of that local plant. But the DMZs themselves would all be connected in the same way that all your plants are connected and your business units are connected. Yeah, I think we see a lot with cloud connectivity nowadays. So what what impact does cloud connectivity have going to the DMZ? It has some impact as far as connecting out. Now, we did discuss this in a the Reynolds Company uh, Tech Talk series that we do. We have a YouTube page, and you can also find it on our website, Securing the Plant Floor Through Cloud Connectivity. If you want to go back and listen to that, I actually have a live presentation that I give talking about examples specifically what's there. In that space, Rockwell has a couple different tools as far as understanding that most plants don't want to actually connect to the internet at all. And when they do, they do go through their DMZ. They have a couple different tools as far as, and, and guidelines as far as using a Cisco web security appliance, web proxies. These are the different software applications and some security appliances that would live in the DMZ that helps provide secure connectivity out to the internet. One of the key things we would use this for is Rockwell has, I forget the specific factory talk application name, where, you know, if you've got devices on the plant floor, it, every now and again, it, you know, sends a signal out to the internet to back to Rockwell on us going through those secure lines of communication. Say, hey, is there an update that I need at my end of life? Where am I at in my status of life cycle, et cetera? 
all of that takes place through the DMZ, through the appropriate proxies and web security appliances to make sure that everything is secure and we are securing our communication to where it's not just open to the web for anybody just to see that traffic skimming across. So what are some of our, our real security concerns for traffic that might be going through the DMZ or, or outside attackers trying to get through the DMZ? Uh, the reason why we're using two firewalls versus one firewall to set up to set this up and surrounding it by two firewalls is it just kind of supports the assumption that two is always better than one. So if two firewalls does reduce the likelihood that the single firewall software vulnerability will open up the DMZ to an attack. So that's that's one thing. And if you want to do more than two firewalls, you can. But generally, in, in most practices, it's just two firewalls on each end. In addition to that, as I said, these are essentially three separate networks that help create the, the DMZ. You have your enterprise, you have your plant floor, and then you have the DMZ itself. It's its own network. And all three of them have to have correct authentication. Uh, so even though I, you know, I authenticate to go onto the plant floor, I have to authenticate then to actually get into the DMZ. And then I would have to authenticate to the business system to actually see the information that's in the DMZ. It is secured on every level and every step of the way in terms of the correct authentication, making sure everybody has a username and password to actually access it. We're using multiple firewalls with multiple different protocols to make sure that we are protecting ourselves uh, as best possible. Let's say perhaps I don't necessarily have a good relationship with, with my company's IT department and I want to approach the idea of creating this DMZ. We need to somehow connect the plant floor to the enterprise floor. What's some advice to the OT guy maybe implementing an iDMZ? That's a situation we generally see a lot, right? The OT guys don't have a good relationship with the IT guys. My, my advice would be start the conversation with your distributor uh, specialist. There's somebody on staff who's a specialist who understands what the, what the IDMZ is, the importance of it is, and who would be okay with having that conversation with your IT folks. Because in order to make this work properly, to make sure it's properly secure, all safeguards are in place, um, and we're doing this correctly and securely, we will need to have open dialogue back and forth between the OT and the IT. We don't have a good relationship with the IT folks, then reach out to one of your, your local distributor specialist who calls on you, helps take care of your needs as far as your managed industrial switches, as far as your controllers, your PLCs, as far as your drives. There's a specialist there who understands it and can help, you know, have those conversations to get some help. To do this effectively, we will need open dialogue with the IT department. So after we get the DMZ set up, what kind of recurring maintenance do we need to do to, to that? I mean, is it just as simple as keeping up with security patches or we just can't set it and forget about it, right? Correct. No, it would not be set it and forget about it. It would be keeping up with security patches as far as the firewalls themselves. Firmware updates that need to take place. We need to, uh, every now and again, might need to do a security audit. Just check to see if there's any vulnerabilities that need to be addressed, if there's anything that has changed. Always constantly update that. As far as the as the servers and the different applications that are passing the information from behind the firewalls into the DMZ, we got to make sure that all of those applications and those transfer protocols as far as sharing the data and how those analytics are shared across, make sure all of those are up to date and security patches are put in place. And if we need to change some configurations, update those. So it's just like anything else, like you have your controllers and everything else on the plant floor. Firmwares do get updated for different vulnerabilities and security patches, and we have to make sure that everything is up to date 
and concurrent because if we do one and fail to do the other, then we not be able to get the full capability of the one we have updated because some of the updates may not be compatible with another device. So you got to make sure everything is compatible as far as when we do these updates and these patching that everything is successful all the way across. All right. Well, I think that's going to conclude our episode on the IDMZ. I want to thank Brandon again for enlightening us, as always, on some of these deeper IT topics. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And we've got about two episodes left in our networking series. We're going to come back with episode seven, which will be a nice discussion about the whole CPWE or Converge Plant-Wide Ethernet. We've been going through the various layers and steps, you know, from the from the factory floor with the media all the way up here now to the DMZ over the last several episodes. So our next episode will just kind of be a, a big discussion on just the whole CPWE concept and how all this kind of comes together. And that'll leave us with one final episode, which will talk about resiliency, networking resiliency which we touched on a little bit during the networking topology episode, but we want to talk more about resiliency. So Brandon, I know you'll join us back for probably one of those, if not both of those episodes, and we'll probably invite Joe back as well to join in for you guys have been our, our key collaborators throughout this series. So thank you again. No problem. Thank you. listening to this episode of TRC Talks. For support, please see our website, reynoldsonline.com. And for those of you who are outside of our area, please visit rockwellautomation.com and you can find your authorized local distributor there. We are very grateful for your feedback. Please let us know if there are topics which you would like us to cover in a future episode. Thank you again, and we will see you next week for part seven of Industrial Network.